welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. But what we're looking at today is we're actually looking at Psalm 27 and with a message titled, You Choose. Uh, A key verse in Psalm 27 is this. It says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That's verse 14 of Psalm 27. So literally, the, the, it's speaking of, when it says waiting, a confident expectation. A confident expectation. And it's, it's like this thing of like, you've got this really big container and you're expecting more. You're expecting more of this help from the Lord. And, and that's the waiting that it speaks of. And so, so keep that in mind as we go through Psalm 27. Uh, psalm 27 is a psalm of David. And so, as, as many of the psalms are, and the occasion of writing is important. Uh, some, some people, as they look at the psalms, say, you know, this psalm was when David was anointed king. Like, he, he went through this long journey, and then finally he became king. Uh, he ascended as king. But Jewish tradition actually is that this psalm was written by David when he was just at a good old age. Okay? So, imagine David sitting out on his porch in a rocking chair, like one of those you have at Cracker Barrel, right? Just, just sitting there and, and just enjoying some sweet tea. And that's what we have in this psalm. I, I, I like that picture that it's this occasion that David's an old man and he's sharing wisdom. He's sharing wisdom with us. Like my grandfather, C.J. Busick, Clarence James Busick, he was born and raised in, in Green City, Missouri, and when we, he and I would have lunch like about once a month in San Diego, uh, and I asked him, I said, well, Grandpa, what, what's, what, like, what's Missouri, Kansas, that area like? It's hot. It's hot. Well, I mean, what was it like growing up? It's hot. You know, and so now I, I get to experience it, right? So at a good old age, he shared that with me. It's hot. That's, that's what he would say. And so today, let's sit down with David as the seasoned older gentleman that has experienced all of the things we're experiencing. See, in David's life, in, interesting, some of the things that he had to go through was because of his sin. And he, he made bad choices, and he experienced the, the, the consequences of those. But he experienced war. He, he experienced civil unrest. He experienced family problems. He also experienced a plague where, believe it or not, in a three-day period, 75,000 of his people died. So it was fast and furious, but 75,000 in three days. And so you've got this person that has gone through all of these things that we've gone through, and he gives us perspective. Because sometimes with what's going on, we can end up kind of just feeling like we don't have a choice, like we're just at the mercy of, of, of what's happening. And David gives us choices that we can make. And so starting with, with verse 1, we're going to see that, uh, choo- that we can choose courage over fear. That it's a choice. That, that while fear is very real, it is a secondary emotion. So fear is, is not in itself, uh, you know, uh, primary. It's letting you know that something is wrong. It's letting you know that, that something is threatening to you or could happen. And so you choose courage over fear. And so in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
So the substance of courage is determined by who we put our confidence in. You see, there's lots of people that have all kinds of misplaced courage. But when you have your confidence in God, what great courage can you have? If your confidence is fully in him, low expectations of everyone else and yourself in when it comes to real things, but high expectations in God. David is able to have great courage. In verse 1 where it says, the Lord is my light, David was actually called the light of Israel by his people. Like his men would say, you, David, are the light of Israel. But what David does when he says, the Lord is my light, he's letting them know that he is just the moon that reflects the greater light of the sun. Isn't that beautiful? He's like, let me reorient you. I'm sitting here. Let me tell you all how it really is, is that I'm just reflecting the greatest light, which is God. And then he says that he, that God, the Lord is his salvation. So for David, that matter is settled. That's for sure. You see Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? David makes these declarations all the time. And what he's doing, he's saying, this matter has been settled for me. The Lord is my savior. He is my salvation. And I ask you today, have you settled that? Have you settled the matter that that the Lord is your salvation? And you say, well, in what area? Yes. Just absolutely, what area is the Lord your salvation? Like, like he, you trust him to save you in what? Yes, absolutely. Have you settled that matter? David has. Also, too, it says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. So he's saying that his, his strength comes from the Lord. Like the well that he goes to, his stronghold that he goes to is from God. In other words, where he goes when he is weak is to get more strength is God. Where he goes when he is strong to get more is he goes to God. He doesn't go to another well to get pumped up. And then it follows, right? One of the greatest statements ever. Whom shall I be afraid? You know, I mean, gosh, if, if I'm with God and my strength comes from him and, and, and he is the light of all lights and, and he is my salvation, who, who should I be afraid of? Or what should I be afraid of? If that matter is settled for me. Now, verse 2, it says, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. So the, the part here where it says to devour me, it means like eat my flesh. Okay, there you go. You know, take that and a quarter and you get a cup of soup or something. I don't know, but it's just, but that's what it means. Like he's saying like this really gnarly statement, like, when people come to eat my flesh, like the worst of the worst things that could happen to me, that's what, when people are coming up, they're the ones that will stumble and fall. Now, David here is speaking out of a past event. He's saying like, look, I've seen this to take place. You know, you can imagine like his grandkids sitting around, just like we're trying to gather around David on the porch here and him just saying like, hey, let me tell you how it works. This is how it works when you Trust in God and make him your confidence. Now, verse 3, it says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So when it says, though an army besiege me, now he's talking about what could happen. You know, there's a saying to not worry about all the bad things that could happen because then if they do happen, you go through them twice, right? And it's just true. There's no need to worry about the worst things that are going to happen because the reality is most of them don't ever happen. But David's saying, look, let me tell you 
that even if something were to happen like this, where an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. So the heart is the seat of the emotions. It's your thinking. So he's saying, like, my mind will not even go there. I won't even go to fear if that happens. Though war break out against me, it says, even then I will be confident. Well, confident in what? Confident in the Lord, ultimately. Because, you know, there's always somebody stronger, There's always somebody more strategic. There's always somebody smarter. There's always somebody richer. There's always somebody more beautiful. There's always, you go down the list, if you trust in anything else, there's always somebody that will beat you in that. But God is stable and solid. And as we go to him, there's stability. So we can be confident in that. So the next thing we see, starting in verse four, is that we can choose worship over worry. And I didn't really get this when I first started following Jesus I kind of thought it was like there's this belief and, and, and I'm, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved and I know him and he's helping me. But when stuff went bad, I thought I was still supposed to freak out, you know? And I thought I was supposed to still like, oh man, it's going on. And, 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 and it, it wasn't really within my wheelhouse to, to like sit down into God in, in worship. And uh, I remember the first several times that I got this, I started freaking out and all of a sudden, the people around me just had walked with the Lord further, like David, just said, hey, let's pray. Let's worship. Like, what are you, how is that going to fix this issue? And all of a sudden, if the issue didn't change, I changed. And the issue wasn't that big of a deal. And so, worship over worry. In verse 4, it says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So dwell in the house of the Lord. For what purpose? Well, it says here, it says, it says to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. So David has made worship in gazing upon the Lord his vocation. Like this is his calling. Like this is, this is what he's decided he's going to do. He's going to sit there. Uh, Michelle and I, my wife, the other night, we, we have a hill on, on the back of our um, property and, and we were doing some gardening and stuff and it, it was cooling down and there was a beautiful sunset and uh, we just realized we're busy a lot and so she came out and was helping and we're, we just sat down for a minute. And, and, you know, where you live and what's going on looks different when you slow down. And you just kind of sit there and I'm like, Wow. And we just kind of sat there and, and, and looked at the flowers that we cleaned up and pulled the weeds out and the sunset was over here and, and we just kind of gazed on it. And it was beautiful and, and we got that. But when we do that with God, things change. Like we see things differently. The stuff around us changes. He made it as, like, this is the sole thing that I'm going to do. And to seek him in his temple too. So there's, there's a gazing, but then there's effort too. And there's an old Chinese proverb that says, he who chases two rabbits catches none. Okay? Think about it. Right? We, we, we try to go after so much in life, and it's like, yeah, God's important. Yeah, I love God. But then there's this franticness over here. And the Lord's like, hey, what if you just made your main vocation, seeking after me, gazing upon me? Verse 5, it says, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. 
He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So David's telling us, look, young children that are sitting here, let me tell you how it works. Well, David, how were you able to stay safe in all of these attacks on you and all of these, these pushing against you and people talking against you and trying to fight against you? How were you able to stay safe in those times? And David's telling us, look, it's not that you run into the protection of the Lord when things go bad. It's that you're already there. You're already camped out there when things are good because you are making it worship is your main vocation. If you're camped out there, this is what happens. It's hard because you can try to run into the care of the Lord when things go bad, and he's good. But just imagine if, if something's coming, the difference between like a storm coming and you're, you're you know, a mile out on your land and you're trying to run to get to your house you know, away from the storm, well, the storm's going to get you wet. You know, the hail may get you, all those things. But if you're already in the shelter, then you're okay. Or I've seen some of these, uh, you know, the big tractors and the combines, you know, they, they, they're sealed, right? I mean, I think some of them have, they have, uh, they have air conditioning, right? Some of those things, right? So their environment is totally different, but they're out in the elements doing the stuff. And so it doesn't affect them. That's what David's saying. Now, it says, if you look at verse 5, he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So he's going to hide you where? In the shelter of his sacred tent. So what is the sacred tent? Well, in the tabernacle, that was like the holy of holies, the holy place. And then in the temple, that was the holy of holies, the holy place where God's presence was there. And, and priests would have to go through all of these rituals to be able to go in there, to be able to offer sacrifice. And so what he's saying is, is like, no one would dare come into the holy place where God is into this place because if you went there unprepared, you died. That's how it worked. And so David's saying like, that's where God hides me. That's where God puts me when I camp out and worship him. And then in verse six, it says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So Deshep, Deshep there you go. That's a new name for David, Deshep. So, so, so David, David worships when he's surrounded by his enemies. Again, and this is a discipline though. God has made so much available to us, but this is a discipline. It's a choice. It's, it's a choice that we can make. And so David, the wise one, is sitting there sharing with you like, hey, look, this is available to you. You can choose this even when you're surrounded by enemies. And the next thing we see is that we can choose transformation over transaction. And, and this is really important for our time right now because there's such a desire to just have things go back to normal. And I know I've talked about it. Like, Cody, you've talked about this. Well, we, we need to get it. We need to get it. We need to put our sights on something more meaningful. We need to put our sights on something that's going to last because normal wasn't good. And guess what? Part of the reason we have what we have going on right now is because normal wasn't really what we thought it was. There was a bunch of shenanigans going on all around us in people's hearts and people's lives. We are seeing that now, and God's working in the midst of that, calling people back to himself. And so in verse 7, it says, it says, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. So he shifts from praise or worship now to prayer. 
okay? And that's where the transformation for him takes place. So the first part of verse 7, hear my voice when I call. Could still be somewhat transactional, like, hey, I, I, I need something. You know, like when you go into the store and nobody's at the, at the counter, ring the bell. Ring the bell for service, right? Hey, hear me. And then the next thing is, um, uh, I call, Lord, be merciful to me. Still somewhat transactional. I don't know if you've been there, but like, help God, I've messed things up. I really need you to, to, to fix this. But here's where it changes. This is where it goes into transformational, is that he says, and answer me. You know, that's a whole different type of praying. And it took me a long time to get this because I'm like, okay, you pray, like you, you say these things to God. But then, I don't know, early 20s, I kind of got to the place, I'm like, I feel like I don't have anything to say, Lord. Like, I'm just saying these things over and over. And then and I'm like, so I'm just going to be quiet. And the Lord's like, yes, thank you. And so when I prayed during that time, I would pray for certain people and things, for others. But then for me, most of the time, I just sat. And I would say every once in a while, like, I love you, Lord. Thanks for being here. Just to bring myself back in. But for the most part, just sit and just pray in that way. In other words, I'm looking for God to speak to me. And now most of the time, I didn't get tangible things that it's like, oh, God said this or that. But I was different. The world was different because I waited for him to answer me. And it was transformational versus here's my list, God. And so that's what David's talking about. Now in verse 8, it says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. So when it says seek in verse 8, it's talking about searching. So I'm going to search for God's face. And the language is saying this. It's actually saying that God says, seek my face. And then there's this, he's saying there's this immediate response. Like it's kind of like you say jump, I say how high. And so he's saying, God, you say, seek my face. And my heart immediately says, I will seek your face. I will seek you, Lord. And when you think of face, it's like talking about the real person, right? Like, I mean, if you said to somebody, like you're on the phone with them and you say, hey, um, this has been a really good conversation. Let's talk more. And the person says, I want to search for your face. I want to seek your face. You're kind of like, hey, I don't know if I want to talk again. Because that's just like too much, right? Now, I know uh, one person, a friend, acquaintance, uh, they... You know, they talked about when their kids were little that, um, that when they would really want to get their attention that they would, they would hold their face, you know, and, and talk to them and say, you know, tell them, you are special, I love you. And so when they would get busy, their kids would walk up and grab their face and just say, I need something, you know, stop working or whatever, right? But the face is just so personal. Um, and so that's what David is saying, like, I'm ready to seek you, Lord. And, and I would just, I think it's a challenge for us because we know the realities about God. We know that he's good. We know that he loves us. We know that he's near to us. But in this time, especially, the activity, the discipline for us is to seek the Lord, to search for him, like to make that a vocation, to make that, that I'm going to seek the Lord's face. I'm going to go after him. I'm not going to be passive. You know we talk a lot about receiving, right? 
you've probably heard me say, like, the number one thing God wants from you is to receive his love. Just receive his love. But even in that receiving of love, you're seeking. There's this thing of, I'm going to go hard after the Lord. Now, in verse 9, it says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. These are words of intimacy. These are words that it's not really a prayer that you know to pray unless you've wrestled with the Lord. That you've been there with him where you've experienced heartache, where you feel like the Lord's let you down. Where you feel like you trusted him or, or believed in him or thought you heard from him and it didn't turn out the way that you thought and, and maybe life just fell apart. These are those kind of words of intimacy where you're just saying, God, I know you're near. I know all these things, but it sure doesn't feel like it. I know you love me, God, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Some people call that like the dark night of the soul. Where it's just kind of like, God, where are you? And we, we can draw near to this, and it's something that God trusts us with. And it's something of, it's something of maturity, it's something of a deeper relationship with God. We see this with Jesus at a moment where he's on the cross and he says, you know, he, he says, Father, you know, why have you forsaken me? Like, where are you? Father, where are you? You know, the, the, the pain, uh, the separation that he felt during that time, even though he wasn't separate, he just, he felt separation from his father. Father, where are you? We can identify with Jesus in that. In verse 10, it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So we know that, right? Like even the closest relationships in life, like father and mother, we, we feel like, well, I'm safe, I'm okay. But even if those people forsake me, even if my father and mother forsake me, Lord, I know that you will not forsake me. And then in verse 11, it says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. So, it says to do all of this, teach me your way, Lord, lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. So when you think of oppressors, they're actively trying to throw off your life. We have spiritual foes, we have physical foes, we have invisible foes like viruses and all sorts of things, but they're active. If something's not active, no problem so much, so, you know, no big deal, right? I mean, if it's kind of contained, not a problem. Like a, like, a, like a bee's beehive. Cool. Isn't that beautiful? Look at the beehive. But if you stir that puppy up and the bees are going everywhere, you know, there's a problem. It's active. It's, it's trying to go after you. And so David's saying, because of the, the chaos, because of the, the, the activity of my oppressors, would you teach me a simple path? Would you teach me a simple way? Like, you know, you think of football. It's, I don't care. There's rumors of it not happening and stuff. It is. It's going to happen, you know. And, you know, you think of football. For me, and I know there's all kinds of new offenses and whatever, but the offense I love in football is I just love a fullback, a tailback, and we're just going to run it down the field. We're just going to go straight ahead, simple, us against you, us over you. And that's the kind of thing David's saying. God, show me your path that's simple, that's, that is just, I can know it and I can just attack and attack and attack in one manner. Slow and steady wins the race, right? You know the story of the tortoise and the hare. 
Which one wins every time you read that? The rabbit is all over the place, just running fast, running fast, resting, all over the place, all the activity. And the tortoise is just slow and steady, wins the race. That's the way of the Lord. Keep showing up, keep working with him. So the key here for us on the other side of this is to link up with Jesus. Because why were people so drawn to Jesus? Yes, he was God in the flesh. But when you think about the ups and downs of life, and there was all kinds of stuff. There was unrest when Jesus was there. There was, there was wars and rumors of wars, and there was sickness and all sorts of things going on. But what did you see people do? You, see, you saw people gravitate towards Jesus. Why was that? Well, because Jesus showed up totally different than anybody else. It was like, this guy knows something that maybe we don't. Like, think of the time that he's in the boat with his disciples. And you know this story had to be shared. And the storm comes up and the waves come up and the wind comes up. What is Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the back of the boat. And it says it's such a weird verse on a pillow. He's just napping. And there's such a bad squall, such a bad storm that all the disciples, these are grown men, fishermen, they're like, we're going to die. This is going to go bad. They look back and Jesus is just hanging out. That's why people were drawn to Jesus. is because in the midst of everything going on, Jesus was just hanging out. Why? Because his confidence was in his Father. You and I can have that confidence too, but it's not of ourselves. It's a confidence that comes from being with Jesus and settling the matter that he is our salvation, that he is the one that we link up to, right? I mean, if you, if you walk into a room and you know, and there's chaos over here and there's just like, everything's calm, everything's good over here. Which one are you drawn to? You know, people were drawn to Jesus because he knew everything was okay, even though it looked bad. And so that's our cause to be drawn to him. I mean, right? I mean, what are the things in your life right now? Because our call is to live out our life the way that Jesus would live out our life. We're not supposed to live Jesus' life, but it's to allow Jesus to be in our life, the Holy Spirit to empower us to live our lives as Jesus would live our lives. Like the things you're going through, the things that are bothering, the things that you're anxious about right now, other than the, the obvious that we're all going through, how would Jesus handle those? Once you see, you say, well, he would do this, well, then you can say, Lord, would you help me to do that with you? Would you empower me that for, in my life? Now, in verse 12, it says, Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. You know, someone said that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth you know, even gets told, before, or before it puts its boots on. You know? Isn't that true? So there's always false witnesses. There's always wrong ideas that are shared and caught up with people. And there's always, it seems like, uh, it seems like the, the, the wicked will win or it seems like the wrong idea will win or it seems like the dishonest will win. But one of my mentors, he, pretty wise guy, but he would just say things real, real simply. He said, you know, people think they're in control, but they're not. I mean, it's just, doesn't matter how you look at it. You know, it looks like somebody's in control. looks like somebody... 
that shouldn't win wins and those things or somebody that is doing bad things. No, the Lord's in charge. He's in control. And so, so trust him. And also, too, in your own life, practically, because many of you have experienced that, where people have made false accusations against you. I've experienced it, and I've seen it, and um, it's caused lots of pain. It's caused tears. It's caused friendships. It's all sorts of things. And, and I will tell you that, that many things need the power of God to break it off, but especially that. Especially that, when you have false accusations, when you have things being said, that's why it's so important that you develop friendships with people and that you're an authentic person with people and you really are yourself because when false accusations come, you need people to come with you and do battle and prayer over, the, over that thing. You need the power of God to break that off. Now, the, the, the last thing we see is, is to choose waiting over wallowing. Now, now, you guys know waiting, right? We talked about it's this confident expectation that there's going to be more help from God. So like more of God, okay? Uh, but then uh, wallowing. What is wallowing? Well, it's the, the picture, if you look up the definition, is kind of like in a mud puddle. So think of like a, a pig, just kind of like in the mud puddle. And in, in so much so, wallowing, the extent of it is there's an indention of you, in the mud. You're wallowing so much. And so just kind of say, I grew up around a, a hog farm in Central California, and, and they were way down at the end of the dirt road that I grew up on, and, and we always knew they were there because you, you, could, you could smell the hog farm. You know, it, 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 it was there. But, but there was all these pigs, and we'd go over there to see our friends, the, the family there, and, and, and you'd see the, the pigs just wallowing in the stuff. And it wasn't just water and mud, you know, just, yeah, just kind of wallowing. And so the, the, the spirit of this age and, and the heart of what's going on in the push of culture is really this call to wallow. It's just wallow. You have no control. You don't have any choices. Just let it happen to you. But instead, there's something else, a choice that we have. So in verse 13, it says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is kingdom of God idea type stuff, right? Like, like the kingdom of God is invaded with Jesus, and we see the kingdom of God break through. The kingdom is where the reign and rule of God is, where, where things are as God would want them to be. Things are as they are in his presence. And when it says, I want to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So in other words, it's not all about like the afterlife. I want to see the stuff of God now, here. But the important shift is, you guys, if you look at the verse, is that, is that I, be, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. A question for you, a question for me, a question for everybody is like, when we say normal, it's somewhat okay. Because we're just saying kind of like, it'd be kind of cool like if the roller coaster car just kind of like ran a few times without something going off the track. It'd be, it'd be cool if things just worked how we designed them. It'd be okay if there wasn't just constant stress, constant stuff. I get that. But in the midst of that, what are we looking for when it comes to goodness? What are we looking for when it comes to normal? Are we looking for man's goodness? Or are we looking for God's goodness? Because they're not equated. They're not equated to one another. God's goodness is pure. God's goodness, ultimately, when we get there, there's no more tears, there's no more dying, there's no more fear, there's no more manipulation. It, like, all people are honored, all people are loved, all people are safe. The lion lays down with the lamb. I mean, it's just, isn't that just such a vivid picture that, that these two that are opposed, 
the lamb with no natural defense system, the lion, this great hunter. They chill together. They just hang out. That's where we're all headed. And so when we say we want the goodness of God in this life, it's like that. Because sometimes the goodness of man, and a lot of times, it's, 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 it's adulterated. It's, it's mixed in. There's other stuff mixed in there. And it's not all pure. There's winners and there's losers. In God's kingdom, everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner because it's all about God and what he can do. So in, in verse 14, it says this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So David, sitting in there on his rocker, just wrapping it up for all of his, his grandkids and kids and everybody listening. I've been through the plague. I've been through the wars. I've been through the family strife. I've been through the civil strife. I've been through all the things you're talking about. I've been through all these things. I've failed miserably, he says. I've failed more publicly and more miserably than any of you know. And yet, let me leave this last thing with you. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You know, I think he probably smiled when he said this, right? Because this is a pretty awesome list of to-dos. Like, this is a pretty awesome list of choices. And you can see us, like, ready to go for it, right? And we're like, okay, I got it. I'm going to do it. And then David smiles and says, but hold on. You may need the Lord. You may need to wait for him. Because you know enough to be dangerous. So wait on him. Jesus did something similar with his disciples, right? They were with him for three years, learning everything they could learn from Jesus and ministering. And, and then he said this to them. Now that you know all of this and you're dangerous, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Don't go out and go places. I want you to wait for the gift of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. You see, the things of God are not just about a list of ideas to be implemented into our lives or a good list of best practices, but it is always personalized. The things of God are always personalized. David says that the Lord is my light. The Lord doesn't know about a light. He is the light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord doesn't know about salvation. He is himself salvation. Jesus himself said this because, he, you know, with, with Lazarus, he said, he said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live. He didn't say, I know about the resurrection and life, but I am the resurrection and the life. And so it's not about attaching to something else. It's always centered in Jesus. And so wait for the Lord. A confident expectation. Hence, the ice cream truck bell in the neighborhood. The follower of God, waiting for the Lord, hears that bell. I know it's coming. I know in our neighborhood, you can hear it three or four streets down and you know it's coming. You hear the bell, ding, ding. It's like, come on, can you stop already? I don't want any ice cream, you know? But with the Lord, the bell is ringing. And then he says, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Just more quantities of help from the Lord. And so may we, may we be like that. May, may we be waiting. Like be strong 
do we do that? Well, when we are weak, he is strong. And weak doesn't mean weak, but it means that I know that the Lord's strength is my stronghold. And so where do you need to apply this? Like, where, where can God be strong in your life? The Lord's been speaking to you throughout this whole time about that area. It's, where does my mind go here? Okay, where's that thing? And so that's the hearing of the word of God. Then comes the doing. And the doing is to say, okay, Lord, let's, let's wrestle this thing out. Let, I let you into this. I surrender into this. Let's walk this out. Let's, let's write it down. So let's, let's take a minute and just be present with the Lord and just that thing that he's been speaking to you through this, just take a minute and talk to him about it. Just be quiet and talk to him about it. Wherever you're at, online, here, just take a minute, receive and talk. Lord, we wait for you. We wait for you, God that is present and not far off. Holy Spirit, would you come? Invade our lives, God, with your great love, with your great presence, with your great hope. We trust in you, God. We ask that you would move in our issues, our problems, our sins, our addictions, our civil strife, our our virus, our pain. Would you show mercy upon your children, God? And we look to your goodness, God. We ask for your goodness in the land, Lord. We ask for your goodness in the land, and we reject wallowing, God. We reject being spectators, God, of of the scenery of what's going on around us, God, and we embrace being participants, God, being those that in themselves carry the very life of God, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so pour out your strength upon our lives, God. We don't want to be self-sufficient. We want to be God sufficient. We want to be strong in you, sufficient in you, God. So we ask you to continue to meet us here and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.